tales of Northern Michigan's past. I'm your host, Christopher Struble, and today we'll be discussing the Inland Waterway, which connects Lake Huron to Lake Michigan through a series of rivers and lakes. I recently made my first visit to the Inland Water Route Historical Society's museum in Alanson as a guest of family friend Dave Pott. And after looking around for just a few moments, I was struck by the significance and importance really the impact that the natural inland waterway has had on northern lower Michigan for thousands of years. First for the indigenous peoples, and then during the many challenging and resulting transitions northern Michigan has endured since the French voyageurs arrived nearly four centuries ago. So today I'm very happy to have Dave Pott as my guest on Tales of Northern Michigan's Past to tell us more about the Inland Water Route Society, Museum, and the waterway itself. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, Chris. Thanks very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure. Uh, definitely appreciate you being here. Uh, Dave, I think, considers himself foremost an authority or at least an extremely learned enthusiast on the early years of Michigan's railroads and trains. But his knowledge about Northern Michigan's history is both ubiquitous and authentic. Thanks. Thanks very much, Chris. <laughs> don't mean to hype you up so much. No, <laughs> not too much. Thanks. Uh, Dave, what's your affiliation with the museum? Well, first and foremost, I'm a volunteer, and I'm also on the board of directors. Our museum is, uh, we are 100% uh, volunteers, and uh, we're very proud of that. And we, uh, our board, are, we're all volunteers, and uh, the people that are docents are all volunteers. So, That's quite a testament to the devotion you guys all have for the, for the museum. And the museum's house and an old firehouse? Well, actually, it was the village hall and also a combination uh, village hall and the uh, firehouse. That's correct. The museum, uh, we bought it in, for about $200,000 back in, I think, 2002. It was complete wreck, uh, but all volunteers, we cleaned it out and uh, redid the building and, uh, and opened uh, our museum on River Street in Lansing. Yeah, it's a super cool building. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what first drew your interest to the Inland Waterway? Well, I think 55 years ago, I took a boat trip down the, uh, the waterway. Uh, actually, we made it all the way to Mackinac Island. I was just fascinated by the beauty of the rivers and lakes and, and the woods. It was, you know, always interested in it. And eventually, years later, bought a cottage right on the Crooked River. So. I'd never done the trip myself all the way all the way through. It must be, uh, be kind of cool. Well, we're going to have to make that come true, my friend. We'll take <laughs> you out there. So. Yeah, great. Right. I know the museum and the Inland Water Route uh, have their own specific history and tales to tell, but I feel that they also represent a continuation of the shared story of how so many of Northern Michigan's small communities were either founded or how they progressed and changed, especially so drastically during the mid to late uh, 1800s and then into the early 1900s. Yeah, that's, that's true. As you know, um, Crooked Lake, Pickerel Lake, Crooked River, Burt Lake, Indian River, Mullet Lake, Sheboygan River, on into Lake Huron, that comprises the inland route. It's almost 40 miles of navigable waterway. And uh, just as a side note, it's considered uh, an arm of the sea because the waters eventually flow into the Atlantic Ocean. So for that reason, it's maintained by the Army Corps of Engineers as well as the United States Coast Guard. All the villages uh, along the route were actually developed because of the waterway and the railroads that served the waterway. So, you know, they were there because of the lumbering and then later on tourists. And, and uh, so that's uh, via the St. Lawrence Seaway? 
Yes, eventually. right, right. You know, you go through uh, Huron, uh, St. Clair River, Lake St. Clair, Detroit River, Lake Erie, uh, and then into Ontario and the St. Lawrence Seaway. So ostensibly from Alanson or Crooked Lake or Pickerel Lake, if you had a big enough boat, you could go anywhere in the world on the water. So. Some people call that the dream trip. Yeah. Being yeah. Lake Charlevoix, head on out. I know the, the, the Wynn family, for instance, the, they had the, the amazing house on, on Round Lake. Mm-hmm. I think recently they took the dream trip. You had to the eventually the Mississippi via Chicago. Um, right, right. Chicago the Sanitary Canal down the Mississippi. Right. Yeah. Come all the yeah. way back around full circle. Right. It's funny. We, we mentioned the St. Lawrence Seaway. Just the other day I was Googling uh, the most dangerous creatures that exist in Lake Michigan. And actually, uh, it, there's bull sharks mm-hmm. that have made their way. And they say, well, they, they've only come partially into, into the, uh, the Great Lakes. But Chicago's where they spotted them. So I don't wow. think that's just partially into the Great Lakes. Well, we'll stay out of the water down in Chicago, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> for, for many reasons, probably, right? So I had always assumed that the, the route was uh, first established for lumbering. That's uh, correct. That's correct. Um, um, initially, the native... Uh, Americans used it to avoid going around Waukesha's Point in the dangerous Straits of Mackinac. They would portage their canoes over the dunes, which are at the uh, end of Little Traverse Bay, and put them into Round Lake and then a little stream called Iduna Creek, which ran into Crooked Lake, and that connected the whole waterway. They're believed that there were at least 50 settlements along the entire uh, waterway, and They've done carbon testing and found out some of these were over 3,000 years old. So they were used by the natives, and then they could come out into Lake Huron and trade at Mackinac uh, initially with other tribes and then with the uh, the French traders. Yeah, as I was kind of researching a little bit in preparation for today, it said there was upwards of uh, maybe 50 settlements along that. That's that, that right. Way. Yeah, that's correct. And then after the, uh, that, the uh, lumber era, started right around the 1850s. In the late 1850s, the Sheboygan River was dammed up, which did a couple of things. It raised the level of the Sheboygan River, the Black River, which flows into the Sheboygan, and also the Indian River, so logs could easily be floated to the mills in Sheboygan. And the other reason water power from the dam provided uh, energy for a, a mill on the Sheboygan River, and that mill still exists. It's a paper mill. Actually, they make toilet paper there. So, Where's that located at? That's right at the, do- the dam, right uh, as you go down the Sheboygan River, just before you reach town, uh, the, the town of Sheboygan. And that's the old, old original mill? Yeah, thing. and it drops about, I think, 15 to 16 feet. Uh, it's quite a drop, and it's, it's, it's part of the uh, fun trip if you, if you take the waterway all the way out to Lake Huron. Just a side note, uh, uh, Sheboygan at one time had the largest sawdust pile in the world. Uh, Initially, they dumped the sawdust into the river, but it clogged the river up, so they started to accumulate, uh, uh, and it's on our old charts. They they show it, and I think they actually uh, finally moved it out in the the 1990s. Yeah, it's it's amazing how they uh, just were sort of just oblivious to the natural resources that they were utilizing and really just uh, over-utilizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's everywhere through northern Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, obviously you couldn't dam up the, uh, the, the Sheboygan River today and uh, back in the, I think, 1870s, uh, a guy took a team of horses and dug out the channel uh, in the Indian River because it kept getting 
kind of clogged up, but you could never get that past the the, uh, the DNR today. No, you know it's funny because uh, here in Petoskey we have the Bear River, and we utilize that and overutilized it, obviously way oh, yeah. way more. Yeah. And uh, at yeah. one point they had uh, talked about rerouting the Sturgeon River all the way from Wolverine into Petoskey to use that that water power. Also, again, you, something you couldn't even propose or even, no, even no, imagine. No, no, no. <laughs> They did reroute the sturgeon into uh, into Burt Lake. It used to dump into the Indian River, but again, that would uh, uh, clog up with sand, and they couldn't move the logs. So, they, they and, and again, you could absolutely not do that today. So. Thank God, right? Yeah, thank God. It only, it only took us about 150 years to realize yeah. that we, <laughs> the yeah. impact on the environment. Uh, there, there was also some some artifacts I, I read, you know, on the on the route, um, Native American artifacts dating back, like you said, carbon dating to three thousand years ago. They're, they're, they were finding stuff and probably are still finding things uh, from those settlements going going way 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 back. Yeah, that's correct, Chris. It's my understanding. Uh, in the nineteen uh, sixties, Michigan State University did a dig um, on Ponchawang, which is right on Crooked Lake, and uh, they found. Uh, some artifacts and also the fires that were built there. Uh, Ponchawang in the native tongue means winter place, and that's where they would camp for the winter. And then in the 1880s, people built the Ponchawang Hotel, and they changed it to mean the summer place. So it was kind of kind of goofy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting because you always think of Northern Michigan as being a, a summer resort, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, there was tribes right here in the in the in the basin here, the Little Traverse uh, mm-hmm. Bay. Uh, upwards of 20 tribes sometimes with summer here. Right. This, this was fishing camp for them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, but apparently exactly. they utilized it for also for the for the winter time. Must have been pretty harsh back then. Yeah. Yeah. As we go into the next chapters of the of the waterway, we we go into lumbering and tourism. Those kind of mm-hmm. meld and coming together. What is kind of the the chronological timeline uh, for those those transitions? Well, but by, by the late 1870s, early 1880s. The area had almost been lumbered out. There was some, uh, still some lumbering going on, but the camps had closed, and um, the railroads needed to, to, which were built to pull lumber out, decided that you know we need to get people up here. So that's how Bayview was established. The GR and I offered land to the United Methodist Church to build uh, a. a uh, actually a, like a camping area, and that became Bayview. And I think a few years later, there were like four, 400 cottages built. Uh, by the early 1880s, the GR&I, Grand Rapids and Indiana Railroad, which was also called the fishing line, they advertised that, you know, uh, uh, so to, to bring people up, to bring tourists up. Um, that railroad later became part of the great uh, uh, Pennsylvania railroad system. Um, and I think in 1918, but they, by the, I think 1882 or 1884, they had laid tracks, uh, all the way to Mackinac and that provided transportation to Conway, Odin, Ponchawang, and Alanson. All these towns were on the inland route. At the peak of this era, uh, trains ran through Bayview about every 20 minutes. So it was a pretty busy place. That would be the suburban trains or what they called dummy trains, little trains that shuffled back and forth to Harbor Springs and the Lanson and all the way to Mackinac and also the long distance trains. So as the trains were bringing folks to these different towns, uh, a system of both large and small steamboats developed to get them to cottages, resorts, or hotels on the various lakes and and rivers that, uh, that comprise the inland route. 
One of the largest of these boats was the steamer Top and the B. It was over 60 feet long. It had two um, steam engines, two propellers. Um, uh, it had a band, and it would park uh, at because they need live music, you know. It would park at the dock on Odin, and the GRNI again later Pennsylvania Railroad had um, a scheduled uh, suburban train or dummy train that ran from Petoskey in the morning. You got off at Odin, which is a beautiful station, walked down Main Street to the dock and got on the top and be, and got a tour of almost the entire uh, waterway. You'd stop in Mullet Lake at uh, Pike's Tavern, and that later became the Hotel Toppenby for a nice lunch, and then cruise back and get back to Odin around 5 or 5.30 and take the little train back to Petoskey in time for dinner. So that was a great uh, and there were there was another steamer called the Odin. There were a number of steamers that left uh, from that dock. So you have uh, a you, you, not to interrupt, but you you, you have a, a propeller. Well, we oh. do, we do, and we are almost positive it is from uh, the top and the B because uh, it's a left-handed propeller. The top and the B was the only boat that was big enough to have two propellers, which helped them steer around the uh, Crooked River, which is in fact very crooked. Matter of fact, they had two guys with poles up on the bow to push off to, to, to help navigate. Um, but it was found by uh, Wayne Blomberg's father-in-law. He's uh, Wayne uh, um, as part of Riding Marine. Uh, he was fishing and he caught something and pulled. they finally pulled this huge propeller out of Crooked Lake and it's in our museum now. It's kind of cool. So. You thought maybe you had a huge sturgeon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, uh, you brought along a, a lot of uh, very fascinating information, and we'd like to invite you back to join us next week for another episode of Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. I've been your host, Christopher Struble, and make sure to follow us as we uncover more of Michigan's rich and diverse history at Tales of Northern Michigan's Past. <laughs>